Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders. I lost track of the number of episodes that this is, but uh, this is Aaron. And this is Shannon. And we are here in the brand new year of 2014. Can you believe we've been doing this for two years? Two years! <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, we're old. We're forgetful. I have noticed um, that my knees have been stiffening up in this cold and wet weather. This is the first year I have ever noticed my knees doing that. So it proves that I passed some kind of like age marker or something. I don't know. Makes me feel old. Oh, no. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, stuff happens. It was really, yeah. I, I thought it was a compliment on Twitter. Someone said, old you? You're only 28. And I said, uh, add 10 years onto that. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a compliment nonetheless. How, have you, how has your reading been progressing over the past month? We have no listener mail, I'll just mention, because usually we do that first, but there is none, other than some very weird spam. Oh, spam, 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 spam. We don't want any spam. We don't want any Viagra or whatever. Oh, or inheritance money. That's what this was. This was like, oh. you've got an inheritance. Uh, enter your address and telephone number here to claim your million dollars or whatever it was. Gosh, I don't there's nothing at all fishy about that. No, of course not. <laughs> Um, let's see. So what have I been reading? Um, well, I, I, December of course was kind of a hectic month for everybody. And, um, I made a reading goal for myself that I would try to read 150 books in 2013 and I didn't make it. I made it to 136, um, which is a lot of books <laughs> really. Um, but I went home for the holidays to Kansas, and um, during that time, I read a couple of things. I reread Sharon Chin's Archangel, which is the first in her um, Samaria series, which is um, kind of a nice little science fiction slash fantasy thing. And what I love about this book is that the whole plot kind of rested on like whether or not the heroine and the hero could sing together. Like it, it sounds really cheesy when if I if I say that out loud, but I thought it was like it was a really interesting and original idea. And I I keep remembering I keep forgetting that Sharon Shin is is so awesome and that I really enjoy her books and, and I need to like my goal is to finish that series. Um while I was home, I read, um, I reread Madeline Langle's A Swiftly Tilting Planet because it's the one book in her A Wrinkle in Time, A Wind in the Door um, time books um, that I haven't ever reread. And uh, I think there's a good reason for it. I, um, <laughs> it just isn't as good. I agree. <laughs> that would be the reason. Yeah. And it wasn't the last one in the series either. No. The last one was. The whole, like, Noah and the Flood thing, which actually which is I, my favorite book in the whole series. Yeah, which was um, a great book. I love that book. But The Swiftly Tilting Planet, I, like, fell asleep during the middle of it, and I was reading it in Braille, so that's saying something. Yeah, um, I read it in Braille, too, and it was very much, like, I, I think she she was real. she had a good idea, mm -hmm. um, but, like... You know, having Charles Wallace be the hero of the book by, like, inhabiting other people's other people and making them change, like, what they did. Um, I just, like, it didn't, it wasn't exciting at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, I agree. It really wasn't. I was it, like, is this ever going to end? And then, like, she kept using the same names. And I know she did it for very symbolic reasons, but it was just like, did they not have, did they have three names in the entire, like, history of the these people that they just used over and over again? Like, yeah. oh, look, here's another Brandon and here's another Zilla. I wonder if that's that significant. <laughs> so, um, so I, that one left me. I mean, I read it in a couple of days while I was doing other holiday stuff and it was like, eh, okay, well, I did that. Um <laughs> And then I read um, on the flight home. I read Sarah Addison Allison, Sarah Addison Allen's The Peach Keeper, 
And if you remember, the first book we ever did on the podcast was The Sugar Queen by her. And she's got a book. Actually, that was the second book. The second book. That's right. What was our first one? I don't remember. See, this is a common theme. I tell you, I'm getting old. I don't remember stuff. (laughs) But anyway, we read it. So this was, I think, her latest one. I think she's got a new one that's coming out, um, either has come out already or is coming out um, this January. Oh, cool. Um, so it's nice to read that, and it's it, like it's a very typical sort of Sarah Addison Allen, Allen book. There's lots of female friendship, and um, there's a bit of a mystery and and um, a little bit of magic in there. And it was just like, it, like the flight home was really kind of hard for me because I don't get to see my family all that often, and and so it was nice to just have something to to relax back and you know yeah. and enjoy. Um, and then I, I've been reading a couple of things. Um, yesterday, well, not yesterday, Friday night, I finished um, another book that we. I think we read this for the podcast. Man, this makes me makes me sound so disorganized. Um, yeah, me too. We read the Silver Linings Playbook, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. So I read um, I read uh, Matthew Quick's latest book for young adults, um, which was just put on Bard. And it was called "Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock," and they used the the commercial narration. And mm-hmm. um, it, I think, if you liked the Silver Linings Playbook, you would you would enjoy it, you would enjoy it. I think if you didn't, you know, it, it would be the, the same kinds of things would probably annoy you <laughs> as with yeah, that one. I, I liked it and was annoyed by it at the same time. So yeah. I don't know. I was too. I, I was. I felt the same way about this one. Actually, the basically the premise is that um, a young man um, decides for his 18th birthday he's going to kill his former best friend and then himself. Jeez. And but first he has to deliver presents to the people that meant a lot to him. You mm-hmm. know, let them know that he really cared about them and he wanted to to say goodbye. And. Um, so it's like this really, you know, it's this really dark premise, but the story really wasn't dark at all. I mean, it was, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like too full of spoilers, but like the book is obviously written in first person. So um, mm-hmm. I feel like the conclusion is a little foregone about is he or is he not going to kill himself? Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but, but the author did have me wondering and it was like, and it was really a surprisingly hopeful book, but it was, it was hopeful in a way that was not schmaltzy. Mm -hmm. Um, it was kind of like, like in, in the end, um, like his life is still pretty messed up. Right. God, I really, I hate that I totally am going to spoil this book for everybody, but like in the end, it, 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 like, you know, in the end, he doesn't kill himself, but he's still got like stuff to deal with. And I really appreciated that, like, that the, that the author kind of acknowledged that, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him, but, you know, it's good that he's taken the first step to not, you know, wanting to kill people and himself. And then, um, the last book I want to talk about is one I've been reading in Braille. Um, it's called The Steerswoman's Road, and the author is Rosemary Kirstein. And I found out about this book because I followed a link to her blog where it turns out she's got um, breast cancer, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, and it was like, yeah, I have breast cancer. It's going to be fine. Um, but also the first book in my series is now out on Kindle. You should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how that blog post went. And it was like it was a, a it's an old enough series now that that I thought well you know maybe it's on Bookshare so it was, um, and I would rather <laughs> read things for free. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> so fifty dollars um, a year aside, right? <laughs> um, so it's a fun book. It's uh, I haven't I've read about the first eight or nine chapters and it and I'm really enjoying it so far and um, would love to. Like it, it's it's very long. It's like six hundred and fifty pages in print. <sighs> um, so it's, it's so I've been reading other things in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the the idea is that the steers women are on this world that seems at first blush to be kind of a fantasy world because it talks about dragons and wizards and gnomes and things like that. But um, the steers women are these like itinerant 
scholars who go around and basically try to um they're they're map makers so they mm-hmm. want to you know survey the land and and you know see what's what's where and um the they have this this cultural society where um like it, the, the the rules are that a steerswoman can ask any question of you and you're obligated to answer um and and you, you know you can do the same of her um and and a steerswoman can't lie and um, if you don't answer a steerswoman's question, like you can never ask a question of any other steerswoman for the rest of your entire life. Um, so it's really like it's fascinating how that plays out because like <laughs> there's this one scene where where you know some guys like oh there's a steerswoman there let me just ask her really pointlessly stupid questions because I can, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then um, so like. So she like she's this this nerdy scholarly woman and I love it and her traveling companion turns out to be this warrior woman from for like a group of I feel like they're like they're kind of like Klingons almost like they're not aliens exactly but they kind of have that like sort of warrior culture um, where like insult and honor is very important to them and right. and. So her friend Belle is this this woman from this culture that's like, hey, you know, I've never seen the ocean before. Can I come with you? And she's like, sure, why not? <laughs> um, so so they're they're really good foils for each other because of course, like you know, Rowan, the steerswoman, is like she's not going to lie to people, and Belle is like, you know, Belle will lie all over the place, and she'll be like, you know, actually, my friend just wants to eat her dinner. If you don't stop asking your dumb questions, I'll cut your throat. You know, so. Um, they have a great dynamic, and um, it's like <clears throat> I feel like it's kind of a feminist book without being like really obviously feminist because mm-hmm. it's just like this world is it you know it's it's um, like women do all kinds of things and they're they're kind of everywhere they're warriors they're sailors they're you know everywhere and um, I think it's just like it, it's really refreshing to to read about a book where that's just sort of treated casually and not like hey you know like look she's the spe- the most specialist woman ever or like you know isn't it isn't it fantastic how we get all the women to do all these things <laughs> um so so that's the the steers woman's road and it's the first two books in in her steers woman series um it's an omnibus so mm-hmm. that's what i've been reading and right now i'm reading for one of my book clubs i'm reading a book called plain kate and that's the last one I'll talk about because I don't know. Um, it's seven hours on Bard, and um, I read about an hour of it, and have been thoroughly bored to tears by it. Mm. <laughs> and it makes me sad because it also has an interesting premise, but mm-hmm. it has a talking cat. And I was like, you know, if I don't even want to read about a talking cat, <laughs> maybe <Yeah. laughs> this is going to be a slog. <laughs> um, so that's been my reading month. What about you? Well, I read a lot of Christmas schmaltz. That started off my reading, my reading for the uh, this month because, of course, it was Christmas time. And I usually don't make a habit of reading books about the holidays, but this year I just decided to go all Hallmark all over the place. And um, the first book I'll talk about, I'll talk about a couple of them that I read. Um, the first book I read. Uh, was, speaking of Hallmark, by Debbie McOmer, who has written a lot of screenplays for Hallmark holiday movies, and some of her books have been adapted to um, into those movies. Uh, the book I read was Mrs. Miracle, um, the book of hers, and it's a series of books about this angel, or a group of angels, who go around and, well, this particular angel, it's kind of like a Mrs. Doubtfire situation. She's a housekeeper, um, and she gets hired by this guy to help him care for his two kids um, because his wife has died. And while she's helping care for his two kids and helping him with his housework and, you know, all that, um, there's, you know, like a little romance involved. And this this woman uh, from around town and him, they, they happen to meet and, you know, sparks fly and all this kind of thing. And, of course, it's Christmas time. 
And what do they do on Christmas Eve? But, you know, propose marriage, or he proposes to her, you know, that type of thing. Um, So very schmaltzy, very Christmassy. The kids love the housekeeper because, you know, all these good and wonderful changes came uh, when she was, you know, when she started working for them. And her name is Emily Merkel, but they call her Mrs. Miracle. So that's how that all happened. And she just happens to be an angel, which really nobody finds out about, really. Um, You kind of find out about it towards the end of the book. It's not something that's... um, really talked about uh, until towards the end. And then let's see, what else did I read that was schmaltzy? Oh, yeah. Um, I read a collection of mysteries called The Candy Cane Murder, which um, it's a collection of, of mysteries by three novellas, I guess you would say. One is Joanne, Joanne Fluke and another two two others um and they have another collection out these other people that i can't think of the names uh, called the gingerbread cookie murder which some people like better um i wanted to try this out because i've been interested in joanne fluke's books for a while and haven't read them so i just picked one of the collections at random and read it uh because i wanted something short of joanne fluke's to start out with to see if i liked it or not um joanne fluke in case none of you know because i i posted about this on an email list and everyone was like what is Match Game, uh, was on Match Game a lot. And Match Game was this really popular game show in the 70s. Uh, it had an incarnation in the 60s, but it was very boring. Uh, and in the 70s, they had these actors, and you had to, they asked questions, and you have to, like, m- match the answers with the actor. And the, it sounds kind of dorky. The questions were really funny, um, somewhat naughty. Occasionally. I was going to say, they're, they're, it's on the Game Show Network all yeah. the time. And it's on also- Game Show Network all the time. And uh, they... My husband and I are such fans that we actually have a couple of the original questions hanging around here somewhere. They write them on mark with marker on a card, and then they give them to the you know celebrities to answer. Um, and and the contestant has to match as many celebrities as possible. And so she was on there several times. Um, this was way before her books came out. This was you know in her actress slash comedian phase, and she was really funny. And so it, it, uh, I wanted to read you know one of her books for that reason. Um, I think what I didn't I liked one of the other mysteries a lot better than the Joanne Fluke mystery that was in the in the book. Um, and I can't remember, of course, who the other author was that actually I liked the story better. But um, I think the whole book was kind of spoiled for me because I really don't like Kristen Allison. I'm sorry, I just can't. I just, Sorry. Oh, I just, you know, I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I've read some of the things she's narrated, and she's so dry. And they put her on romances and, like, these young adult stuff that she's not good at. I don't understand it. I, in my opinion, anyway, she's not good at it. I think she'd be a much better nonfiction narrator. Uh, and they don't give her those kinds of things to read. So, anyway, um, I read the book, and I was kind of, you know, it was okay. But... Um, and I may try some of the mysteries again at a later stage. I like her mysteries, though, because they have recipes in them. And, Ooh. of course, there are things that I'll probably never make. Because Hannah Swenson, I guess, is a baker. She owns a bakery in this small town of Minnesota that has all these quirky characters in it and everything, which is kind of cool. I like stories with small towns and quirky characters, if they're done well. And all the characters are given personality and stuff. And it seems like, in her case, you know, she does a good job with that. Um, I'm kind of reminded of, you know, the Cat Who books by Lillian Jackson brawn or brown that you know this crazy town in minnesota with all these crazy eccentric characters in it um and oh by the way there are mysteries so these books this seem kind of the same um at least the hannah swenson part the other two mysteries in the book uh like i said one of them i kind of liked better um it was called candy canes from christmas past and i can't think of the author of it uh but it was about a woman who was restoring an old she and her husband were restoring an old farmhouse doing it on you know trying to do it by themselves on a shoestring budget and her husband doesn't know a whole heck of a lot about how to restore old farmhouses. And uh, she doesn't either. So um, it's all about, you know, them doing that and her trying to solve a, a, a murder that occurred like 50 years ago. And it was it was really good, too. Um, and let's see. Another book that I wanted to discuss that I read... I decided I had had enough of schmaltz and I wanted to go completely the other direction... So I read uh, or reread, depending on how you look at it, Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. And this is a story of a uh, mentally, they use, it's, it's odd because this book was written in the 50s. And so they use a lot of 
terms then that are definitely not okay now, like moron and retarded. So um, a mentally handicapped adult uh, guy um, named Charlie is given um, surgery and drugs and things to make him very intelligent. And he's very intelligent for several months, and then it kind of wears off. And so it's about his struggle dealing with that, uh, gaining a lot of knowledge very rapidly and then very rapidly losing it. Uh, and it's it's interesting because what I read in high school was the shorter version that the author wrote first, and then he expanded it into a novel, which came up um, on, on Bard recently, and I downloaded it, and I thought that they, the narrator in particular, uh, did an excellent job. Ray Hagen, I think his name is, uh, with the book. And I thought that the lengthened version I actually enjoyed better than the shorter version I had read in high school. And of course, I knew what was going to happen, and I kind of knew the ending, and and everything, but it was it was great to read, and I didn't cry at the end of it. I thought I would, but I didn't. I went into this tremendous reading slump for like a week and a half, and didn't read. I hardly read a thing during that time. Um, then I happened to pick up another really depressing book purely by accident. I thought it was going to have a bet, and it did have a sort of okay ending, but I didn't really like the characters, and one of them was just bat crap crazy. Um, and so, you know, I just couldn't like any of them. Um, it was called Amity and Sorrow by Peggy Riley, and it was a romance, sort of, um, but it went back into the past a lot. So this woman who was a member of a polygamous cult uh, and had two daughters, uh, and this guy had like 50 wives. It was kind of weird, you know, like end of the world type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. There was a fire in the temple, uh that the cult had and of course they lived in a commune type situation and she grabbed her daughters and left and the book starts out with them like driving down the road they've been in the car for four days i'm kind of reminded of the stand where the guy at the beginning of the book was driving down the road uh and he knew that his wife and little girl and him had the flu but he was trying to prevent everybody else from getting it so his idea was drive as far as you can and then die somewhere Uh, but what he doesn't realize of course is that people open up the car and there go all the germs um so I'm reminded of that because they stop at a gas station, she and her daughters, and um, interestingness ensues because she meets a farmer who takes them in, and the girls have grown up their whole lives in this commune. Their names are Amity and Sorrow, by the way, uh, and Sorrow was the bat crap crazy, uh, crazy person, um, and it's really not her fault. Um, her father sexually molested her, um, made her pregnant. I mean, just horrible stuff happened to this per- to this girl, and she never really recovered sanity. Um, and as the book goes on, you you start to realize that. So I, I mean, you know, she's kind of crazy when it starts out, and it never she never gets uncrazy. So uh, you, uh, I'm not really. This isn't a spoiler, um, but it's it's all about how uh, Amaranth is the mother, but she hates her name, so she goes by Amy. Um, how she and her daughters cope with trying to go back out into the world. Um, and they're very, they lead very separate lives. It's interesting, you know, growing up in a commune and everything. But the, the two daughters are very, you know, it basically focuses on each one of them separately. And there's not a whole lot of meeting. I mean, you know, you know meeting and connection between the three of them. Um, so it's very ironic living in a commune. You'd think they'd know and understand one another, but they really don't. And uh, so they all lead very different struggles to try and resolve the things that have happened to them during their lifetimes. And I was just kind of unsatisfied with the book as a whole. Uh, I I felt like I really didn't get to know any of the characters except maybe Amaranth. And I really didn't like any of the characters at all, Um, including, you know, her love interest. I just I didn't get to know him. He was a good guy and everything, I guess. But it was sort of like everyone was really remote. Um, mm. and, uh, all the, all the main characters seemed really remote to me and I didn't feel like I could understand and like really get to know them. So that was kind of a letdown. Um, and the ending was kind of, was very unsatisfying for me. Um, but you know, it was, it was one of those things that it had a large, has a large, you know, romance component and you expect all romances to be happy and fluffy and wonderful. And it had that aspect, but it also had a very tragic aspect to it as well. Um, and I won't go anywhere else with that because I'll end up spoiling everything for everybody. Um, let's see. One other book that I want to talk about is something that I am currently reading. 
And based on the, you talked about the steers women, and this one kind of reminded me of that. And it also reminded me of a book that we read a while ago called The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. We read it, we read it last year. And this is the same kind of thing, actually. A Jesuit uh, priest goes to the, um, this book is called A Case of Conscience by James Blish. It's one of his early novels and one of the, his shorter ones and fascinating. Uh, this Jesuit priest goes to this planet with this other group of scientists. The planet is called Lithia. Um, the aliens don't torture him, though. They're actually very friendly, and he gets to know them, and they're very logical. Um, he thinks they're devil spawn, and he uses Catholic Church doctrine to come to that realization, which is kind of weird. Um, and I don't really understand understand how he get draws his conclusions, um, but they're kind of borne out in the novel. Uh, because what ends up happening is that the Lithians... The planet's called Lithia because apparently it has a lot of lithium on it. So the humans called it Lithia, and and that's the way it stayed. Um, there, you know, there are four humans, and and they recommend for various reasons that the planet not be, you know, posted on the space lanes. You know, people leave it alone. Um, his reasons are primarily religious and doctrinal, and the other scientists have their own reasons for for not recommending it. Uh, but the aliens are very nice and very friendly and very logical, and he learns a lot about them while he's there and makes friends with one of them, who gives him a rare and precious gift. Um, one of the Lithians' protozoan children to raise on Earth. Uh, and, and the alien, you know, adult, wants to, you know, gives him this gift and says... You know, this is my child. Uh, I hope that he survives on your marvel, you know, marvelous world, and you know, with all its technology and and wonderfulness. Because of course, the Lithians don't have a lot of the things that we have. Um, they have some technology, uh, but not you know, not everything that we have. So he's curious about how his offspring will make it on Earth, and he knows that he's he'll never know. Um, and that that was just that just pulled at my heartstrings. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Um, you know, such a powerful gift. And so the priest takes the little unborn, it's like an unborn child that lithians are hashed from the sea. So it's like floating in a little saltwater jar of salt water back to earth. Uh, the little child grows and matures quite rapidly and makes a mess of everything because he doesn't have any guidance, you know, anyone to really guide him. Um, people view him as a curiosity and then, you know, he's in a cage for a while as he's growing, and then they throw him out when he becomes an adult. They take him out of the cage, throw him out into the world, and give him citizenship. It's like two facets of the same, I mean, you know, two sides of a coin, and he doesn't really know how to deal with that very well. I'll just say that and let it go with that. Um, he surrounds himself with all the wrong people, doesn't really get a lot of guidance from the scientists who were overseeing his upbringing or, you know, like his care as he was growing and maturing um, through these different stages of development or what have you. And I haven't finished it, so I don't exactly know what happens, but I do know that chaos ensues and there's a lot of like, I don't know, um, stuff that happens uh, to end it. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the author... Uh, it was really interesting because at the beginning of the book, he says, I'm agnostic all over the place, but this is, you know, I just wanted to play around with some Catholic Church doctrine. And so if any Catholics out there want to critique me, feel free to do so. Um, I, you know, he's like, I'm not saying this is what would happen if an alien from an unknown planet came and lived on Earth, but it was fun to consider. And, you know, reading it from that standpoint, I don't know if this is the way that the doctrine would have been interpreted or not, but um, it's certainly quite fun. It it's a quite interesting um, and thought-provoking small, short read. And I think that was it. Finally, oh, I've gotten to the okay. end. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, well, there's been some stuff in bookish news. We don't have a whole lot, but we like some of it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, um, but let's see, we start, we'll start out with, um, there was a BuzzFeed article that we're going to link to about 16 books that will be turned into films this year. And um, it was an interesting list. Uh, um, some of them would be things I would, I would enjoy seeing. I was surprised at how many of the books I'd read from the list. Um, I was too. And I was also surprised at how many I'd never heard of. I'm like, what? Yeah, what? that too. What is this? Um 
So that's just for your perusing pleasure, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, not a whole lot of comment on that. Um, however, one of them that I do know I would love to see in a movie is called uh, The Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kidd. And, and she's the one who wrote A Secret Life of Bees, like way back, that I still haven't read that I keep saying I'm going to read. Um, <laughs> but she, yeah, and she, she's a, um, from the South in America, uh, growing up white in the South in the 60s. And she writes a lot about civil rights and women's issues. And so this book... Um, is about uh, a woman who actually existed during the Civil War times and um, died young and of unexplained causes in reality. But in her book, she makes out that, you know, she lived to, an, a, a, you know, uh, not a ripe old age, I would guess, but had a more interesting life. In other words, lived longer than she really did and had more interesting life and adventures. And that's going to be turned into a movie. And I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that um, when it does come out. Because I think, you know, civil war and, you know, abolition and all these issues that are tackled are, are very uh, fascinating issues. Now, that said, I have been saying I'm going to see the help for a long, long time and still haven't done it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so we have um, we have that coming out uh, as, as a movie. And um, we have an article that, uh, you know, talks about her reactions to the movie um, as it's going to be released later on this year. Let's go to another book that um, is currently on the bestseller list. Disturbingly enough, Mein Kampf has made it to the bestseller list. Uh, actually, mostly digital formats of the book have made it to the bestseller list because people feel like it's, it's, it's something that they don't want other people to know they're reading. So they can read it on their digital device and then just click delete it. Read so it and delete it. it's not just Fifty Shades of Grey that people do that for. Exactly. It's now Mein Kampf. Ooh. <laughs> um, and, you know, people read it for a variety of reasons, I guess. Um, not the least of which is, I guess, you know, we're living in distressed times. So people tend to read depressing books in depressed economic circumstances. Uh, and then a little bit later, uh, people tend to write about depressing books books in depressed economic circumstances. There's a study that has come out that states that um, after a recession, usually uh, the recession after a decade or so after the recession, or like a decade or so after the recession, a lot of books come out that not necessarily do they deal with depressing topics, but they have depressing mood words in the books throughout, you know, sprinkled throughout the text. And the... Uh, putters togetherers I don't know what you call them, these scientists or statisticians or whatever who conducted this study say that these decades have occurred in, you know, a 10 or so years after a recession. So in the 1940s, the 1980s, and now look out for the 2020s to have similar results. Um, and their hypothesis is that people who grew up in the decade preceding when they started writing have very strong memories of that decade when conditions were economically depressed, uh, thinking World War I, Depression, and 1970s. Uh, and then uh, they tend to write books based on, you know, that, that are influenced by their childhood memories. Because people, I mean, if you're a really successful writer, you write about what you know. That is one thing that Stephen King has always said, uh, and one thing that a lot of authors have always said, write about things that you know about and translate them into, you know, your own, you know, put your own spin on them, but start out with what you know. And so um, successful authors tend to do that, and a lot of authors tend to write about what they've experienced and have put it into their books in some way. And so that's what this study has uncovered. I'm not so sure that I agree with it because I think we're seeing plenty of depressing books come out right now based on all yeah. this like post-apocalyptic dystopian fiction craze that's going on in the world. Um, zombies, etc. And um, Look at all of those books on that 16 yeah. books list. Like about eight of them yeah, are dystopian fiction. Absolutely. And so look at all this. And you know, I'm not so sure I agree with the study, but I think it's kind of, I mean, it was interesting enough to get into our news. Um, second to last news story, Isaac Asimov came out 50 years ago with a book uh, or short story called uh, The World's Fair in 2014 or some such, and it had a lot of predictions in it, some of which are accurate and some of which are not, about what the world would be like in 2014. This is a really fascinating article because, like, it was. They, they, it was amazingly accurate in, in a lot of ways. You know, he predicted, he talked a bit about... Um, Oh, for example, people 
you know, using tab, like, you know, larger screened, you know, things to, to communicate, you know, basically predicting like tablets and smartphones and flat screen television and microwave ovens for that matter didn't yeah. come out, came out like a few years after he talked about mm-hmm. like, you know, heating, how easy it would be to heat things up in the kitchen. And I mean, some of it was like, he, he was, was still, you know, no flying cars yet. <laughs> No flying cars yet, um, no cordless electricity that's really efficient, and no robots that actually do things that are really practical. Um, We've got our robots that dance, the thriller dance, and sing, and do, um, you know, little computer tasks, but nothing uh, as advanced as what he has, you know, been predicting. Yeah, Um, we we can't, unless unless you, you know, have a Roomba, I guess. Right, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, but, but that said, um, a lot of really cool predictions in there, and it's a fun and fascinating read. And lastly, uh, one thing that has been going on in the past year is this crowdsourcing idea, especially with authors and their books. Um, Walter Isaacson, the biographer of Steve Jobs, is crowdsourcing his next book, which is going to be about innovation. And uh, in a sense, of course, it's going to uh, kind of be small biographical sketches of innovators in the digital age. Uh, But um, he's going to be putting up a couple of chapters, actually, I think he's already done it on LiveJournal and a couple other blog sites, a couple chapters of his uh, book so that people can read it and critique it and give commentary on it. Uh, And the article points out that a lot of the people that he's uh, previewing are actually still alive. So if those people comment on it, that'll be interesting for him. Uh, And I'm looking forward to reading that. I I that would be interesting. Yeah, I, I got bored with the Steve Jobs book, but uh, maybe this one will be a little bit better. I'm not a real biography person, and that biography was like 25 hours. Oh, I know. Wow. So <laughs> I any- haven't read it. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I started it, and actually, um, my husband finished it, which amazed me to no end, but it's a subject that he's really interested in. You know, he's a technology person, so really, you know, it was something that he could he could really ride with. But um, I... Uh, I do think that the whole crowdsourcing idea is is a great idea, um, and we'll see, you know, where it takes him. I'm interested in seeing the book when it comes out, and maybe he'll put together, you know, some kind of introduction or something, and he'll talk about the influence that the comments had on his on his writing. So that'll be that'll be really interesting. All right. All this aside, we should probably talk about the book we read this month. Which was The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett, or Hogfather, rather. I keep wanting to put a the there. I know, I do too. There isn't a the, but I keep wanting to put a the. (laughs) Um, Um, It's the 20th book in his Discworld series. It's a, you know, it is certainly a Christmas book. Um, Although, of course, they call it Hog's Watch over on the disc. Yes, that's supported by the giant turtle that's supported by the four elephants. Is that the way it works? Yeah. Or do the elephants support the turtle? I keep getting confused. I think the... Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. The the elephants support the... The the, the turtle. Yeah. And the turtle supports the disc. Yeah. I think. Anyway. Or or are the elephants at the the corners of the disc? I don't remember. Anyway, um, we... we (laughs) Terry Pratchett is one of those authors that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of... And he writes these books. And the Discworld novels are... They fascinate me so much because... They're really funny and fantastical and kind of absurd. I mean, the humor itself is, is kind of absurdist humor. But at the same time, they make you think a lot. And there, there are some of those books that um, either they can be read in a profound way. In, in other words, like, what is he trying to symbolize with this humor? You know, what does this really symbolize? Uh, or you don't have to think about them if you read them. You can just laugh a lot and uh, be done with it. So they can be interpreted either way. And I think that he's one of those authors who can do that so well. And it's so fascinating. Um, there is an article that we will post in the show notes. It's actually not an article, really. It's a podcast. Um, it's a link to a podcast, uh, an episode of All in the Mind, which is an ABC Radio National um, radio show that is put out in podcast form, or at least was up until a while ago. And I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I used to listen to it quite avidly at one time and one of the episodes from 2011 talks about alzheimer's disease specifically early onset alzheimer's disease which mr pratchett sir pratchett should we say suffers from sir terry pratchett and uh he talks about how it has 
influenced his writing of the Discworld novels. Um, very fascinating, um, fascinating story, um, podcast, and I encourage you to give it a listen, especially if you enjoyed this book and want to know a little bit about his writing process when he writes these novels. Um, incidentally, these novels don't build on each other with a few exceptions. Uh, the first and second ones kind of did. And then after that, I, I really don't think they do as much, although you do see some of the same characters pop up. Um, so if you you know, have read some of the novels and you know about the Unseen University and the City Watch, you know, you'll see some of the same characters. But, but in this book, you don't have to hogfather. You don't have to really know a whole lot about what's been gone before. You know, you can read it as a standalone. And I thought that the characters were just fantastic. Um, I especially liked the raven. For some reason, that raven just tickled my funny bone. Um, he kept looking for eyeballs. It was great. Eyeballs and carrion and other stuff. And, those and eyeballs? Those are mixed nuts. Those are olives, you stupid bird. But he would say things that were so, like, so cynical and snide. And, and they were just, I just thought he was funny without meaning to be funny. Um, in a dark sort of way, I guess you would say. And, of course, Susan was awesome. Yes. She is the governess who tries to find the hogfather. Because if the hogfather is not found, the sun won't come up. Uh -oh. Can't have that. We can't have that. And her grandfather, Death, decides Death. that he has to be Hogfather because Hogfather is missing. And that was just hysterical. Death. It was. Death <laughs> trying to assume a jolly role and do the Hogfather's job, you know, go around and deliver presents to all the kids and, and uh, you know, be in the shops and, and ask all the little kids what they want and, <laughs> and everything. And he dresses up in this costume and it was, it was really, really funny. Um, and I thought very, you know... It, it basically was a satire on Christmas. Um, yeah. And the, the commercialism of Christmas was, was in it, you know, quite a lot. Uh, and I thought it was, it, was, it was really funny. Oh, killing Santa Claus, though. Man. Tackling that subject and making it funny. And he, he did it very well. He did. And I, I have, I've only read a couple of the Discworld books. I read, um, at one point I thought I'd start at the beginning and try to read the first, the first couple, and I just didn't like them. Um, and, and so I kind of gave up on Discworld thinking it wasn't for me, and then I, I, I've read a couple since then. I really loved Monstrous Regiment and uh, The We Free Men. Um, but this, this falls into the category of Discworld books that I, I enjoyed. Um, I did think, like, it does, it does stand alone, but I, I definitely felt a little bit of a lack in that, um, having not read a whole lot of the, the books about the Unseen University in particular, um, like, I didn't really understand, um, like, I, like, it wasn't that I couldn't follow it, it was just that, that I felt like I would have enjoyed some of the humor a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some things that are not explained. I mean, like, the librarian is an orangutan? How did that happen? Um, right. I mean, I, I understood that part because I read the book where he actually turned into an orang orangutan, and they couldn't get him back human. And as the book went on, I forget what one it was, as the book went on, he became more and more ape-like, and I guess by now he's completely an orangutan, but also the librarian. And now he want to be, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can understand how some of the things, you know, link to the other books and how you may have felt a little bit awkward. Um, most of the books of Discworld that I have read actually focused on the Unseen University. So I kind of knew who all the characters were uh, from there. Um, but I did feel a little bit of a lack, you know, when when they were focusing on like the City Watch. And I'm like, who are these people? Because I, I haven't read the books that really focused on them that much. But, you know, it was okay. Um, I I felt like... One thing that you have to be okay with when you're reading one of these books is jumping around a lot. Yeah. Because the story jumps from place to place a lot, uh, especially towards the beginning. And if that's something that really annoys you, then the Discworld novels might not be for you because they all do that. But this one seemed to do it a little bit more than most. Uh, at least the, the more than most of them that I read. Um, so, um, you know, that is something to be aware of, but I have to say it was very funny and it's definitely one of those that I'm going to keep in my bag and maybe pull out another on another Christmas and, uh, read it. I, I think so too. I, I think it, it was a very, like, it, it was a Christmas book for people that, that don't really, um, like I find myself struggling sometimes with Christmas books because I really kind of want to be, to read some schmaltz, but I don't want to read, um, 
Like, <clears throat> I don't think I could get through one of those Debbie Maycomber <sighs> Christmas books. It was I, rough. It really was. I, I don't, I just feel like I would, I would want to roll my eyes so much. Um, but I, like, but I don't really want to go the other way either and read something that's so horribly depressing and it's like, you know, Christmas is the time when everybody in the entire world is horrible to each other and let me show you how. So, like, reading this book was a nice, like, counter to both, um, because it wasn't a book about, like, let me show you how horrible people are. It was, you know, very much, uh, like, it, it had the good, the good parts about the Christmas season, and there was, but there was also some, some cynical bits in it, too. And I really, my favorite, like, there was a moment when, when, um, and I think he plays with every single Christmas theme that you ever come across anywhere, um, and my favorite was when Death was um, had to go visit a a little match girl. <laughs> oh yeah! And then he was like, you know, my gift to her is having a future. Mm-hmm. That was, <laughs> and, and that was just very sweet. <laughs> it was, and like Death is this big skeletal, like insane teddy He's bear. Dead. Yes, <laughs> at heart, you know. So yes, yeah. uh, yes, and the and other- then. And and I have to say that that I I am compelled to read some of the watch books because the one scene that that had knobby knobs in it cracked me up. Yeah, he <laughs> like, was pretty good. He was going to go arrest the Hogfather and then ended up just being like <laughs> a little kid again. A little kid again. <laughs> Ooh, I have a crossbow. How cool! <laughs> and uh, I I really enjoy um, the the assassin Jonathan. Teatima. Teatima. <laughs> however you say it. Um, tea time. Who uh, decides that um, he's, he, he says that he has made a hypothesis for killing everybody or a hypothetical plan, even death. Fortunately, he's not able to quite kill death. Um, but it was, he kind of amused me because, you know, Terry Pratchett makes a very sinister character. Um, you know, with some humorous aspects, uh, even though he's a terrifically not nice guy at all. Um, and so, yeah, I agree that this was the perfect novel to read if you don't want, you know, total Christmas, you know, schmaltz dripping with syrup. Um, and, you know, or you don't want, you know, Christmas is, people are horrible to each other at Christmas time uh, kind of a book. This was a perfect, you know, kind of in the middle type of thing. Uh, and especially if you're like me and you're not one of those people who, really wants to read um, books that are super religious and preachy at Christmas time. Um, this was one for you because it didn't really talk about that that much. No. Um, really at all. Except th- I think there was a reference to the wise men that was stuck in there. I'm not exactly sure how it all worked. Um, but, the, but um, you know, mostly it, it did not focus on those aspects at all. My, my favorite thing, like about the religious thing, I do have to say that, that, that the concept of an oh God... <laughs> <laughs> the, the god of hangovers he was an oh god because whenever people uh what's the word whenever they they um are hungover are, are hungover of course they they invoke him that's the word i'm looking for yes they invoke him by saying oh god <laughs> exactly so exactly he's an oh god <laughs> and it was really funny because when he's hungover which he is most of the time except when the wizards find the antidote because he absorbs everyone else's hangover symptoms he says oh me <laughs> so he like invokes himself it's it's pretty it was pretty funny um but anyway that was our book for the month and we should start talking about our next book which yes. i have read part of but i stopped reading it last year when we decided to read it this year i decided i would just stop reading it and reread it again when we actually read it um, it's called. Erin the- has been wanting to do this book yeah. for months, like literally months, a long and, time, and keeps bringing it up. And we keep like having other things we want to get to first. So, I would just like to say you should all read this book because Erin can finally. Yay! I can finally finish it. <laughs> uh, and it's called the J. Alfred Proofrock Murders by Corinne Holt Sawyer, and it's about these two elderly uh, dowagers. And I say dowagers because they're both women of means who, you know, are elderly and retired. And they live in a retirement community. 
and they help solve murders. You know, they're like amateur sleuths, in other words. And um, it's it's really funny. I've read other books in the series. This is the first book in the series, uh, which is why I chose it. But um, it's I've read other books in the series. So you don't really need to read the first one in order to understand, you know, like the premise, which is that they're old women living in a retirement community. Uh, and they help solve they help the police solve murders, even though the police don't want them to. You know, they're busybodies, in other words. Um and they're they're very funny. They're full of humor. Um, they're very lighthearted mysteries. Um, and so we thought we'd start the year off uh, with a mystery. And um, it should be fun. It is it on Bard. I'm not sure if it's on Bookshare or not, or Audible. Uh, but I do know that it is out of print. You may, I think you can find it on Kindle, although I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Uh, but you can find it on Amazon, you know, like as, as sold as a used book. But if you are cited, you may need to go on a library raid for this one. If there are any cited people that actually listen to this podcast. Well, there is that. There is that proviso. <laughs> but I, I thought I'd throw it out there. Um, it was written in the 80s, so I'm not really sure why it's out of print. It wasn't like it was written eons ago or anything. Um, but, you know, evidently... Uh, it isn't in print, but uh, I do know that uh, Mitzi Friedlander narrates it for Bard, and she's perfect for it. So um, that is an incentive for you U.S. citizens who are also Bard patrons to also read this book, if you enjoy yes. her narrations. And I think, other than giving our contact details, that is going to be it for us that this month. Um, as for me, you can reach me at Aaron Edgar on Twitter. Uh, of course, we are book hoarders on Twitter. That is the primary way to reach the podcast through Twitter or email at bhapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website at bhapodcast.com. Uh, as I said, you can reach me on Twitter at Aaron Edgar. Uh, and you can- I'm on Twitter at Bardsong. Yes, indeed. And you can I just wanted to throw that out. Yes, <laughs> I was getting I was going to shut up in a second. Um <laughs> And you can also find The Melting Pot Show on The Phoenix, the-phoenix.net, um, Melting Pot Show on Twitter, 6 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday. And what about your web uh, other oh, ventures? Those, you, my other web venture, you yes. can check out my blog where I talk about what I'm reading. It's um, at flightintofantasy.com. Um, I post... I try to post a couple of times a week. It doesn't always happen, but you know, but at least once a week I get something, something out there, and you can read the latest post I have up there. Uh, I, well, by the time this comes out, I'll I'll have a review of "Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock" by Matthew Quick, so uh, you can get spoiled all over again. There you go. <laughs> um, other than that, um, that's all I've got going on. Mm. So until next next month, we will simply we'll say bye bye. To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail dot com. Follow book hoarders on Twitter. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.